0: And thank you that, oh, Lord, already we are just uh, singing Christmas carols and just praising you and worshiping you, Lord. Already we feel your presence and the Holy Spirit moving upon our hearts. And God, I ask that you would now, Lord, speak to us through your word, God. Lord, open our eyes, God, to what your word is saying. And open our ears to what the Spirit is speaking to us. And let us receive it in our hearts and apply it to our minds Apply it to our lives, Lord, today. And I pray, God, that we would leave here different. We would leave here more committed. We would leave here, God, more surrendered to you, Jesus. And God, thank you that you love us so much, Lord. And even in the midst of our failures, Lord, you're still there reaching out, loving on us, and bringing us back to you. So do that very thing through your word today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Hey, I read about one man who overheard a young boy talking on his mother's cell phone. And this is what he heard. Hello, sir. I was calling to see if you found someone to do your yard every week. There was a short pause. And then the boy said, oh, you have someone already? Well, may I ask, does he do what he's supposed to be doing? After another pause, the boy asked. So then you you are very happy with him? Oh, thank you, I was just checking. Well, the man who was listening in on this side of the conversation sympathetically told the boy, Oh, I'm so sorry you didn't get the job. Oh, no, sir, said the boy. I've got the job. I was just calling to check up on myself. <laughs> I like that. Well, it's a fact of life, right? Those regular performance reviews, employee evaluations, or even we got to go in for our physical checkups regularly. But did you know that we also need to do regular spiritual checkups also? Well, today we return to our study in the book of 2 Corinthians, and Paul writes to the Corinthian believers to stop falling into the criticism about him. But rather, rather than criticizing, looking at Paul, look at themselves to examine themselves. It is now time for self-evaluation. That's the title of our message. Time for self-evaluation. Time for self-evaluation. We're going to be studying 2 Corinthians chapter 13 from verses 1 through 6. Now we finish up chapter 12. Uh, last week and now we're crossing over to chapter 13 and this is our very last chapter of this book and so this week and next week we're going to be finishing up our study through this book and I'm so excited that we have now gone through the book of 2nd Corinthians. We did 1st Corinthians now or 2nd Corinthians and we're almost Paul here. So our outline is this. I've broken up our passage into three parts and this is our outline. Number one, be serious. Number two, be sensible And number three, be sincere. So time for self-evaluation, and it's all about being serious, being sensible, and being sincere. So let's begin. Number one, be serious in our outline. Number one, be serious. Take a look with me here now, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. It reads here, this will be the third time I am coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. All right, we begin here with Paul saying again, and this is what he said last chapter, right? I'm coming for the third time, basically, to see you guys. I'm going to come and visit you again. Now, remember, I mentioned to you, and we have been learning throughout these two books, the first time Paul came to the city of Corinth, he came to share the gospel and plant the church there, the Corinthian church. Then the second time he came, which he came in between writing 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, Paul's visit there was to confront their sin. Well, now Paul is talking about the third time, and when he comes a third time, he doesn't want to have to do the same kind of confrontation, but you know, if if need be, he will. So as Paul begins to close out this letter of 2 Corinthians, he exhorts the Corinthian believers to be serious now about repentance, to be serious about turning from their sin. Now, you remember in these last four chapters that we've been studying since chapter 10 in Second Corinthians here, Paul has been defending himself basically against the attacks and accusations of the false teachers who've come into the church and been saying all this filial stuff about him. So sadly, many of the Christ- Corinthian believers have given into that poison and believed their lies saying, Paul's not a real apostle. He's so weak. He's a weak leader. Ah, don't listen to him. He's not really a servant of God. But as we've been learning, their assessment comes from, what, their worldly Greek way of thinking. But God's way is different, right? We've been studying that. We've been seeing that. And as we saw in chapter 12, where there is weakness, there is strength, right? There's God's strength. Well, Paul's apostleship is really proved by God's powerful work through him. And that's what Paul's been talking about. It's not him. It's Christ in him that's been going on. So then Paul calls the Corinthians to turn from those false teacher scams and all and repent of their sins. Don't keep going down this road and this, this way they're allowing you to be. So as we saw last time, because that's what breaks the heart. That was the title of our message last week. If you missed it, you can grab the CD. So he talked about what's breaking his heart, about how these Corinthians are are handling these things and what the false teachers are saying, and also it breaks the Lord's heart. So Paul goes on here in verse 1, continuing on saying, look, I'm coming this third time. And I'm coming possibly to have to deal with this sin that you guys are continually in and possibly have to bring on church discipline. And that's why if you look at the rest of verse 1, he quotes actually Deuteronomy chapter 19 verse 15, which talks about the need for two or three witnesses to establish the facts of a case or a crime or, or a sin that had been going on. Now, me, I, I believe Paul refers to these two visits. He's witnessed this continual practice of sin. So he's saying, if this third time I come and I see the same thing, then I'm going to have to seriously deal with you guys. So the idea here is this. This time Paul will come as a judge to, with discipline and not with this encourager to, to help them Uh, turn from that sin, which actually what he's talking about goes along with what Jesus had stated in Matthew 18. You remember that, and we studied that years ago, but you remember when Jesus was talking about, hey, if anyone is in sin, then they are to be confronted with these steps. And what's step one? Well, someone goes to them in private, one-on-one, talking to them Showing them, hey, brother, you in sin, you got to turn, you got to repent, you can't be doing that. But if they do not repent, Jesus went on and said, hey, you go to step two, right? Approach them with another person or even two other people, two other witnesses. So, like Paul, Jesus actually quoted in Matthew 18, verse 16, this same verse, By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And then if they still do not repent, then you go to step three. The matter is brought before the church and the church leadership as we study. And if they still not repent, then they are judged. They are, they are asked not to return. And remember, when Jesus said this, it was all steps to, of restoration. You to get them to see their sin and to bring them back to the Lord. But if they, they're not repenting, then they are judged. So, with the same idea in mind, before discipline is given, there are three separate occasions when the believer is warned. And that's what Paul is saying. You know, what? I'm coming this third time, and I'm coming this time to confront those who are still in sin. If need be, you know what? I will conduct church discipline. This time, Paul is coming to judge. And in a way, it's like baseball, yeah? Three strikes and you're out. So that's why Paul says this next. Look at verse 2. I have told you before and foretell as I have if I were present the second time. And now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest that if I come again, I will not spare. Paul has told them all this before. He's talked about this. He's talked about this. And he, he wrote about it in 1 Corinthians when he studied it. He wrote again when we were studying this book in 2 Corinthians. And he talked about it. He talked about it when he was there at his second visit. That's what he's saying at the beginning of verse 2. So he, he says the same thing now while he's absent. In other words, while he's writing this letter, while he's not there, while he's writing this, he's saying this, the same thing, to those... He says here in verse 2 in the middle who have sinned before. In other words, the ones who keep sinning, the one who keeps practicing their sin, even after all the warnings. And he goes, I'm talking to you, to all the rest, everybody there in the church, anyone else who is in a continual practice of sin. Paul says, you know, when I come at the end of verse 2, I will not spare nobody. Interesting thing, the word spare in original language in the Greek is a very strong word. It's used to speak of sparing one's life on the battlefield. So the time for patience, the time for grace, the time for mercy is over. We got to deal straight with it in this third time. So those who refuse to repent and continue to sin will receive the serious consequences of their sin. And in context, you know, it's not just discipline against the carnality, which the Corinthian church was famous for. their sexual immorality, which Paul had addressed over and over. But listen to what Philip Hughes wrote in his commentary. I think this is interesting. He wrote... Rebellion against, against an appo- appointed minister is rebellion against the higher power that appointed him. So I believe Paul is just wrapping it all in and Philippians is bringing in that it's not just their, their personal sins against God, but it's also how they are going along with the false teachers and going against and, and, and putting Paul down himself. Interesting. I think that's very interesting. All right, so here we find Paul's point here in this passage. This time when Paul comes, he will seriously deal with the sin. So the time to repent is now. This is his point here in these first two verses. This time when Paul comes, he will seriously deal with the sin. So the time to repent is now. They got to be serious now. They got to get serious. They need to take care of these things now. They cannot wait. No longer. It is reported that uh, Colonel Rawl, the commander of the British troops during the Battle of the American Revolution, was playing cards when a courier brought an urgent message to him. The intel that this message held, said General George Washington was crossing the Delaware River. And, you know, there's that famous picture, right? The colonel put the note in his pocket and put off reading it. He didn't even look at it until his game was finished. Well, when he finally read the message, it was too late. His disregard of the seriousness of the situation cost him his own life, many of his men, and he— basically lost in defeat under George Washington. And then as soon as he read it, he tried to hurry and rally his men, but the rest of his regiment was captured. Later, a Nobert Quayle said this, he wrote, Only a few minutes' delay cost him his life, his honor, and the liberty of his soldiers. Earth's history is strewn with the wrecks of half-finished plans and unexecuted resolutions. Tomorrow, quote-unquote, is the excuse of the lazy and refuge of the incompetent. Oh, heavy words there, yeah? Paul saying, hey, you guys, this time when I come, I got to deal serious with you guys. I mean, this is the third time now. You got to be already dealing with this. But this time I come, I'm going to deal seriously with, with the sin. So the time to change, to repent is now. Does this describe you this morning? Are we getting lazy in that battle for our souls? Have we become our own spiritual casualties because of our lack of repentance and disobedience before the Lord? Don't let your life become filled with the wreckage, as uh, Quayle said, of half-finished repentance or broken promises to God. Don't disregard disregard and procrastinate. Don't put off what God is saying to you today. He's speaking to all of us this morning. The Holy Spirit has a message. Now is the time to turn from sin. Now is the time to be serious. Let's move on to number two in our outline. Be sensible. We've seen the time for self-evaluation. It really is now, and it's about being serious. And now number two. Be sensible. Be sensible. Paul goes on here. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3 now. He writes, Since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you. Now, what is he saying? Okay, Paul continues. He's saying, since you seek proof that really Jesus Christ is really like with me. That, that I'm really an apostle. That he's really speaking through me as a real apostle. He goes, you know what? I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you the proof. You'll see when I come. Paul says, you'll see that God is, is really in me. And, and when I come, that's when God will deal with you about your sin. It will not be in a weak way. He's saying God who is not weak toward you, he's not going to be weak in this way, but mighty in you or or in others. He's going to powerfully come to you and convict you of your sin. And it's going to be when I come, it's going to be working through me. In other words, Paul's saying, think about this. God will send me as his representative to come and deal with your sin. Remember, again, the Corinthian believers were believing the false teachers' accusations. And remember that accusation that, oh, Paul is weak, yeah? He's not like like those real Greek leaders who are strong and assertive and, and you know, really just come on you with their authority and all. And Paul, oh, he's weak. He's not what, like, a spiritual leader should be. And we, we've been studying that, right? Remember back in 2 Corinthians 10.10, 10, uh, the second part of verse, the false teachers criticized Paul like in person he's weak and his speeches, his messages, they're worthless. See, the Corinthians were also caught up into this idea of power and pride and if you're a real person, yeah, you, you assert yourself and you push yourself. And so they easily got scammed into judging Paul by the worldly standards that the false teachers had played upon them. But Paul's like, all right, you guys want proof? I'll give you proof. I'll come in power. But it's God. I'll come, though, in the power of Jesus. And when you see me, it will be just like Jesus. So then Paul adds this in verse 4. For though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. So Paul presents this This now. He points to Jesus. He says, you know, you criticize me. Oh, I'm weak and all that. The false teacher saying that. But listen, look at Jesus now. Jesus, he was crucified in Weakness, and we understand that, right? God the Son came to this earth as a weak human being, hung out with the poor and weak in society, not the high and mighty like according to the world, not the religious superior like according to the prideful Pharisees. But then Jesus allowed himself to be crucified, which in that society was the most shameful thing to happen in the Roman society. I mean, if you were someone, you would not. Oh, those are for the low lives to be crucified in that way. Yes, Jesus died in weakness, Paul is saying, but now he lives how? By the power of God through the resurrection. Jesus is now alive, and he's proved now he is the Lord over all. And so Paul is like, hey, that's us. Paul and his team, you know, we're weak. We're like servants. We're, we're, we're servants just like Jesus. But when we deal with unrepentant sin, it will be by the power of God. It will be with his, God's authority. So the idea is, this Paul's like saying, hey, be sensible about this. I mean, think, just, just as Christ came into the world in weakness of a servant. Look, he now reigns in authority and power. He's, we see him as Lord now. So Paul says, hey, I, I'm just following my Lord's way. I'm just following his lead. I came in the weakness of a servant to you guys to encourage you, to love on you. But you know what? When it comes down to if I have to deal with sin, when it's called for, I'm going to bring the authority that have been given me as an apostle of God in representing what the Lord wants. I was thinking about this. You know, we think about Christ in this way. That's right, He came humbly, right? But He is Lord now. So as we're in this Christmas season, I think about how different Jesus' first coming was to what His second coming will be, right? Someone once said the first time Jesus came as a helpless babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. The second time, he comes on the clouds with great power and majesty. So Paul's using that example. Paul's saying, look, if you guys, you Corinthian believers, don't change your ways, you know what? I'll be forced to come with that power and authority of Jesus to discipline you guys. So in these two verses... Paul's point here is this: Make no mistake, God will, through the apostle, hold you accountable for your unrepentant, repentant sin. Make no mistake, God will, through the apostle, hold you accountable for your unrepentant sin. You know, so many people. Uh, You you, you hear, you know, in the world, oh, God is love. It's okay. I'll be okay. Oh, we just love. God is love, you know. But you know what? God is holy and righteous. God is pure and just too. And he will bring judgment to those who don't repent. I mean, we look at end times prophecy. We look what's going to happen in the tribulation. It is the judgment of God falling upon unrepentant sin. We read in Old Testament, we're studying the book of Ezekiel, and Israel went after idols. Israel committed spiritual adultery against their God, and God had to bring judgment because He's holy. He loves them. He, He reaches out. He warns us. He tells us, come on, come on. But one day, the judgment will fall. So Paul's saying, hey, make no mistake. God will, through the apostle, hold you accountable For your unrepentant sin. You know, Kristen and I, uh, in in our times of discipline, our own children when they were younger, we would try to relay that it's not so much our rules that they have broken, but it's disobedience to God and His Word. During our, our discipline, process and procedure, we would not only talk about their crime, quote unquote, and how they went against God, but it, it would also include a time of prayer. And I wanted them to go before the Lord and ask forgiveness from the Lord for what they've done, really against Him, against what the Word says. And it was all in the mindset that we would train them to see that even though we as a parent are administrating the punishment, ultimately they are accountable before god and our hope is that they would learn that ultimately they live before god and that's really the idea with paul paul's like make no mistake god will and through this apostle hold you accountable for unrepentive repentant sin So he's trying to relay this. So it's not so much Paul's trying to bring up, you know, questioning Paul's apostleship, criticizing him. It's not so much about Paul's defense even, like, oh, yeah, don't do this to me. But it's more about what God is saying, what they're doing to the Lord. And it's about how God will use Paul to hold them accountable. So be sensible about this. How about you today? How do you handle things like oh maybe your parents come to you and say hey we got to have a talk oh no yeah or maybe your boss or your teacher yeah how do you handle it when they come try and talk to you about maybe you're going off course or the wrong things you've been doing do you fly off the handle do you turn it around and then put it back on them oh no but it's you and you did this sometimes we can be so blind and we don't see that those who really care about us are only trying to help us. And suddenly, they become the enemy. Suddenly, the very ones God is using, right? They become the enemy. And that's what Paul said. Hey, don't, don't look at me. Enough. I'm going to come, but you know, I'm representing the Lord. And God is the one holding you accountable. What happens is it's our own selfishness. It's our own pride. And, and, and maybe... We're just trying to protect our own sin, right? Yeah, that we do that. What God is trying to do is to speak to you and hold you accountable for your sin. His heart is, he doesn't want you to go down that road. His heart is, he doesn't want you to suffer consequence and consequence after consequence because of, your, of the sin. He's trying to save you to try and course correct you and calling you. And, and holding you accountable to sin. Hey, we got to stop blaming others. No matter if they are respectable or not, God is probably using them to point out something in your life. So let's not be like these Corinthian believers coming against Paul when it is God who is really behind the apostle. All right, let's move on to number three now in our outline be sincere be sincere it's a time for self-evaluation it's about number one be serious it's about number two be sensible about this and now we really get into the the meat of what paul is saying here number three be sincere take a look with me here now second corinthians chapter 13 verse 5 examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith test yourselves Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? Here we come to really, as I mentioned, the peak of what Paul is saying. The Corinthians, these believers, they must be willing to, Paul says here in verse 5, examine yourselves. The word examine here, it, it really means to take inventory. And then later when he says in the middle, test yourselves, the word test means to scrutinize, to really look, look into yourselves. Both words really carry this idea of putting something to the test to determine its genuineness, yeah? Is it really real? So here that's why Paul says, says that examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Are you really in the faith? In other words, is there really any proof that I'm a true believer? Is there any proof that I am really living a life that God wants me to live? Is there any proof that I am really carrying myself as a true Christian should? Paul challenges the Corinthian believers to see if they are really true, and I would say it this way, true to their faith. Bruce Barton said in his commentary. He asked, that's Paul asked, the Corinthians to examine themselves to test whether they were, I like this, acting in accordance with the Christian faith. And then Paul says, do you really know that Jesus Christ is in you? Do you not see that Jesus lives in you? Is the evidence of that coming out in your life? Unless it's not then you are, well, he says, disqualified at the end of this verse. Literally, that is not approved. In other words, you failed your own test. The idea here is look carefully, look deeply, and be real. Be honest. Be straight. Be sincere as you look into your own life. As we're talking about Christ living, is Christ really living in you? I mean, the great truth of the gospel is that when we're saved, when we become believers, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And we know that Jesus is alive in us. So is is Jesus Christ really alive in you? Galatians 2.20. Some of you, this is your life verse, right? It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ, what, lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul's like, hey, be real. Look into your life. Is Christ really alive in you? Examine yourself. Test yourself. Is really the Christian life being lived out here? Understand also that the Greek verbs here uh, are in the present tense, they call it, which means it's a continual regular checking. You can you can translate like this verse this way, keep on examining, keep on testing yourself. You know, just like physical checkups, Paul is urging believers to give yourself regular spiritual checkups. And then for our last verse today, Paul adds this in verse six, but I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. Paul says if the Corinthian believers really examine themselves real sincerely and they do find, well, maybe you find Jesus there or if you realize, no, there's sin there. I'm not living how I should be living and you repent. Then Paul says, you know, I trust that then you guys will know that me, my team, we're not disqualified. In other words, they'll see that Paul truly is an apostle of Christ and Paul is one who preaches the truth. So Paul's like, you guys been examining me, but you know what? You should examine yourselves. And if you're really honest and and sincere, then you will see the truth about me. And then you will finally find, you know what he's saying, freedom from all this division, all this hatefulness, that as we've been seeing in this book, that has been going on in the body of the church of Corinthians there. Whatever doubts that those Corinthian believers had about Paul would all be cleared up. You know how? After they examine themselves. After, after they really see how they're living, how they're carrying themselves. I mean, the question is, are they really walking in the spirit with their constant judging of Paul? Are are the false teachers really the ones to believe when Paul was the one who led them to the Lord, planted the church? Would Paul really try and fool them like these false teachers are accusing? Are how they value things like pride, power, money. That's what they value and that's what the false teachers are pushing. and, And is that really of the Lord? So if they examine themselves rightly biblically, they're going to see something different about themselves and even about Paul. That's what they should examine. Those ki- that kind of mindset and attitudes that have been hanging around them for a while. They need to ask the straight questions and be sincere and real about the answers they may find. So in our final point this morning, Paul is saying this. You will find the true spiritual freedom and deep healing when you regularly examine yourself. That's what I'm saying. You'll see. I trust. You know, you're going to see what we're really made of, that we're not disqualified. And you're going to find that, oh, Paul, you're right. Oh, we've been wrong before the Lord. And in that, you're going to find that true spiritual freedom and deep healing when you regularly examine yourself. Someone once said this, there is a proverb from the business world that says, the man who takes no inventory will one day become bankrupt. <laughs> I like that. It's true. So true. And that's like what Paul is saying. Take regular inventory and you won't go spiritually bankrupt. We got to do that. We got to regularly look into our own hearts and be real about it. Don't cover up. Don't be prideful. Don't be thinking, oh, I'm okay. I get them. Yeah, that kind of thing. No, you got to really look honestly into your own lives, into your own hearts. Look under the carpet, you know. Don't just, oh, now I'm okay, because you know you're not dealing with some things. But we need to take inventory regularly. Sometimes uh, I was thinking about this. Our refrigerator gets out of control. You know what I mean. You look inside and go, whoa, what is that in there? (laughs) It needs to get cleaned out, right? You know what I mean? Those old leftovers, yeah? You know, that are still there from like three weeks ago. Oh, look at the chicken katsu. I I didn't know it was that color, you know, kind of thing, right? You know, the moldy, half-eaten block of cheese from last Easter, you know, kind of thing. You know, or the, the expired stuff, you know, the the salad dressing. That What's this? Wow, it's been here since, what, two years ago? You know, kind of thing. Or, you know, isn't it funny, like milk, right? You you see that, and you kind of shake it, and you hear that clunk, 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 clunk. (laughs) But isn't it funny how we still got to open up and smell it? Like, why do we do that? We know, if you hear a clunk, clunk, clunk inside, hey, throw it away, right away, right? We got to clean out the fridge regularly, right? We got to do that with our own lives also. Let me ask you, how is your life doing today? How is your life? Examine yourself. Is there some moldy, fleshly things going on that need to be thrown out? Have you ever really taken the time to do some self-evaluation lately? I'll tell you what, as we come into Christmas, as we come into the end of the year, that's what I do. I look at this year. I think, how have I been doing what did I how's things going this year? Have I grown? What's going on? I think we need to open the fridge of our own lives. Have we neglected that for a while? You know We need to look. We need to clean those things out. When was the last time you cleaned your fridge, so to speak? Yeah? Sometimes I'll tell you what happens. We get caught up. We're so focused on other people's refrigerators <laughs> that you've been blind to your own. yeah. I want you to notice something in verse 5. The words yourselves and the word you here. The Greek actually in original language puts a big strong emphasis on these pronouns. Paul, listen, turned the tables on his accusers who were asking the Corinthians to judge Paul's apostleship when all along what they needed to do was judge their own heart before the Lord. That's exactly what we all need to do. It's so easy to focus on the other person, right? Their disqualifications, their failures, their sins. It's easy for us. And then miss our own lack of godliness. Matter of fact, being cynical, being critical, having that attitude might be where you're really falling short anyway before the Lord. Didn't Jesus say, In Matthew 7, verse 3 to 5, I think they're going to put this on the screen, right? Didn't Jesus say, why do you look at the speck? What's he talking about? The little tiny splinter in your brother's eye. But do not consider the plank. You know what? He's talking about this giant beam in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, verse 4, let me remove that speck? That little sprinter from your oh you're you're so oh you're so bad you're a failure here, here let me point it out to you how can you how can you say that to your brother? Let me remove the speck from your eye and, and look a big giant beam plank is in your own eye. And then what what does Jesus call these guys? Hypocrites. First remove the plank from your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye you're automatically, you aren't qualified to judge another person when you still have your own plank. I remember my roommate in college, would, would, we would talk about this. he said, yeah, it's like this big, big beam in your own eye when you're like this, and you walk around like this with his arm. <laughs> We're walking around hitting people in the head and everything like that, yeah. Does that describe you? Listen, take a long look at yourself. Don't be this hypocrite like Jesus said. An early church father, Abbot Moses, said, they who are conscious of their own sins have no eyes for the sins of their neighbor, neighbors. I like that. So how are you doing this morning? How are you doing? I mean, what would God say? Let me pass along uh, this test. This is uh, something Warren Rearsby put in his commentary, and I thought, I thought this is great. You know, just, there's different ways we can examine ourselves, the Word of God, what God has been speaking to us about, what we know, what we need to deal with. But let me just give you this, this test that Warren Rearsby put, put out. And I think these are some good questions to ask when we're examining yourself, right? And if you want you, you could write this down. Number one, do you have the witness of the Holy Spirit in your heart, that's so good. Romans eight nine says, "But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you." Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not he is not his. Romans eight sixteen says, "The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God." So, do you bear that witness of the Holy Spirit in your heart? Do you sense him? Is he moving through you? Is he leading you? Do you are you surrendered to him? Are you following the Spirit? Or is it the flesh? Number two, do you love the brethren? Oh, this one's heavy. First John three fourteen. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. In other words, he's not really saved. Do you carry around that hatred, this bitterness, unforgiveness? Do you not truly agape others? Oh, this is a good test. Number three, do you practice righteousness? Remember the word practice is a continual thing, yeah? Do you continually practice righteousness like godly living? 1 John 2, 29 says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Someone who leads a godly life, you know they're a real Christian. If someone doesn't lead a godly life all continually ungodly in sin then there's a question right are you really saved is is faith in jesus christ really in you first john 3 9 whoever has been born of god does not sin for seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of god again he's talking about the practice of living a godly life is it this practice is this continue more godliness than there is sin, and number four, have you overcome the world so that you are living a godly, uh, a living a life a godly separation? I think this is a good one. First John five four says, "For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world: our faith." Have you been living a continually victorious life over your flesh and the things of the world. In Jesus Christ, we can, you know. Know this today. Maybe, maybe you haven't realized this, but because Jesus rose again from the dead and because he's given us a new life, we can find victory in Jesus, you guys. Victory over our sin. Victory over our, our flesh. We don't have to live the same way no more. And it's not us like, oh, I got to try, I got to do this. No, it's the power of the resurrection living inside us because Jesus lives in us. There is hope, you guys. So have you overcome the world? Or are you still more worldly than godly? Are you, is the worldly things, is, is, is that old life getting less and less and more and more of Jesus in your life, more and more of the light and less of the darkness? Examine yourself. Good questions to ask, right? So how are you doing? What would God say if you were to ask him? I'll close with this. I read about how one church had the, the little children come up on their Sunday morning services before the pastor spoke, and they come and they would say a little bit or then pray and then they go off into their cakey church and, and uh so this this one one morning this this little boy came up and and his little, little sharing turned into a, like a mini sermon I read. Then he went on to pray. And he, when he ran, prayed, he said, Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this church. And then he paused for a moment. Then he looked up and he asked the Lord, How are we doing, God? And ripples of chuckles went through the church. But everyone knew. That was a good question to ask. God. God. How are we doing? How am I doing, Lord? When was the last time you asked God that? How am I doing, God? What do I need to change? Lord, help me with this. God, what do you think about this? When was the last time you asked? When was the last time you even cared? Well, this is what we see here today, don't we? Paul has challenged the Corinthian believers and so God is speaking to us. that You know what? It's now the time for self-evaluation. Let's pray. God, as we come to you, we, we ask this question, God, how are you doing, Lord? How am I doing? Oh, Lord, convict us through your spirit and those things that we have failed, God, before you. Our disobedience, Lord, our attitudes that that aren't, godly or pleasing to you the things that we still hold in our heart and have not let go god lord help us to let them go but lord how how am i doing god speak to our hearts lord we want to be open and we want to be sincere we want to be serious lord and we want to be sensible because we know that lord you have to judge sin one day though you've been gracious and Merciful, Lord, we know that one day your patience will end as we read. But God, as, as the door is still open, as your patience is still there, and as you're loving on us right now to let us know that, that there's some things we have to work on. Because it not only affects, Lord, our relationship with you, which is huge, but it affects us and those around us. God, let us humble ourselves before you. God, we humble ourselves and and we acknowledge and confess our sins, Lord. And we know that we got to change and I pray for those here this morning who who are struggling with things, who are being convicted even right now by your spirit of those things. And Lord, help us to truly examine ourselves because sometimes I don't like to because I know what I'm going to find. But, Lord, give us the courage. Help us to be real with you, straight with ourselves, Lord, knowing that this is where we're going to find true freedom. This is, we're gonna, this is how we're going to find true healing on the inside. For, God, this is where you are, and we want to be with you. As our eyes are closed right now and our heads bowed, I want to give you an opportunity to to just make it right before the Lord. If the Lord's really been speaking to you, the Holy Spirit's been really convicting you, and you come here and you stumbled in here maybe even, or maybe you've been here for a while and there's some things you've got to make right with God and you want to be forgiven, I want you to just put your hand up and acknowledge to the Lord. God bless you. Anyone else? I just God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, God bless you guys. Just acknowledge this is this is for you and the Lord say Lord I need to make right with you anyone else God bless you God bless you you guys can put your hand down now maybe you walked in here and never really really uh given your life to Jesus just put your hand up say Lord I know you're you're God I want to give you my life and be forgiven i want to I want to Be a child of God now. Put your hand up if you want to receive Christ for the first time. Perhaps maybe you walked in here, you want to rededicate your life to the Lord. Put your hand up. Lord, I know I've wandered away and I need to come back. Anyone here? God bless you guys. God bless you there. Put your hand up. down. God sees your hand and he sees your heart through your hand. And I'm just going to pray for everyone who just raised their hand right now. Lord, I pray for those who have acknowledged from their heart by raising their hand to you, that you would right now come upon them, forgive them, cleanse them, Lord. Let today be a new start, Lord, that you would wash away the sins, Lord, that you would help them, God, as they surrender to make a strong commitment to you, to follow you from this day on, that this Christmas will be different from the last Christmases, that as we end this year and go on to the new year, that their life will be totally changed because they are making the choice to live for you now. So, Lord, come upon them now by your Spirit, Lord. Forgive them, heal them, help them, and make them new right now. I pray for those who are recommitting their life to you, Lord, that as I speak these very words, that they would say them within their heart. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you, God, that through you I can find salvation, life, and freedom from my sin. Lord, forgive me of my sin. I believe that you are the Lord Jesus who sacrificed his life for me. Come into my life as I surrender to you, and I pray for the Holy Spirit to fill me now. And give me new life. So Lord, as we all come to a close this morning, we do just surrender our hearts and life to you. Asking you to continue to work powerfully, mightily, and bring us closer to you. And help us to fall in love with you more and more and more. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.